Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. It's going to be an interesting episode for everyone today. We are sans most of the regular crew, but I found some maybe better replacements. No offense. <laughs> I am joined by Rebecca Charlton. Rebecca, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> also, do you prefer Becca or Bex or Beck or... Well, I feel like professional-wise, I go with Rebecca, but Bex, that's, yeah. It seems like quite fun, Bex. <laughs> yeah, let's be, I'll be Bex today. <laughs> and drumroll, please, brrr, today on the podcast. I know listeners to our podcast at The Other Place are going to be absolutely thrilled to hear the voice of Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. I'm back after being cryogenically frozen since the end of the other podcast. Wah, wah, wah. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk cycling with you. It's been a minute. I know. It feels weird. I have to dust off the microphone, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to chat a little bit about nationals. We had some order restored to the world in the national championships. And then we're going to preview the Girodonna, at least what we can we know the course we don't really know the riders but i think that we can guess a little bit at some of the people that will be lining up on friday before we start with nationals this episode of the wheel talk podcast was made possible by the generous support of our members at the escape collective monthly memberships start at just 11.99 american dollars or you can save 30 percent on an annual payment for more information head on over to escape collective.com slash join that's escapecollective.com slash join. And thank you so much to the members of the Escape Collective for making this possible. All right, let's start with let's start with the time trials. I I feel to the surprise of literally nobody, Chloe Dagart took the US National Time Trial cha- Championships and the road race. That one's maybe a little bit more surprising, but she took both titles. So a pretty pretty big win for Canyon Stram and a big win for, for Chloe. Another chip away at her prep for the Tour de France fam of X-Wift. When I was on the podcast with you, Abby, we obviously delved into how we have just seen such huge progress in her comeback from, from the horrendous crash that we all witnessed, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, she's most definitely back, isn't she? And to see that double... Yeah, I probably wasn't overly surprised because we'd had so much focus on her after Ride London, but what a ride. Yeah, and I guess in the road race, also unsurprising as she she can win, especially on US soil with no teammates. So the fact that she was kind of on her own, a little isolated there, totally makes sense. Isn't she like pretty much the only Canyon rider winning right now? Look, I hate name pronunciations. I'm terrible at it. Um, Igniska? Or something. Yeah, the Polish rider on Kenya Stram, who's not Kashini Wadoma, won the time trial in Poland. So she is the Polish national time trial champion. So the and they took a couple other like national titles. Um, but they they definitely it was not only Chloe taking national titles for Kenyan Stram over the weekend. Exactly. I meant like winning races. She's the only Kenyan Stram rider winning world tour races. That's correct, yeah. Sorry, Kanye. No offense. But Cassia was so close at Switzerland. Like, she was... She was. She was so close. Ugh. I'll never get over it. (laughs) All right. We also had an upset in Spain where Marie Benito 
of AG Insurance won over Mavi Garcia. Mavi retaliated by taking the road championship later on in the week. Mika, Mika Kroger won in Germany, Human Powered Health. Mika Kroger like, is, this is such a funny thing about like her name everywhere. Like, I on- don't, yeah, the, the Twitter, I don't get it. I don't get it either, but it's funny. Like I it's think it's like, a. It they they've made it into a song. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the song. I've seen the song. Yeah. What I, sorry, what have I missed here? Oh, have you not seen it? I have no idea. She has like a huge fan club on Twitter, and I think it's just yeah. her name. Literally, any tweet about her, or even it, does it have to be about her? I don't know. People just literally put underneath like just her name, just Mika Kroger, just like everywhere. like over and over and over and, then, and like, over and over. Some bloke made a song and everything. Like it's, I don't get it. I've not heard the song. No, I need to. Abby, song link in show notes. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, (laughs) I will link it in the show notes. You can also just like Google. I'm sure on Twitter you can look it up, and it's it's there. And it's I don't understand. I can't make heads nor tails of it. I'm kind of here for it though. Yeah, I need a minute to do some research on this. I need to hear the song. Paula Findlay was first in the Canadian National Championship time trial over Olivia Barrel. Uh, Blanca Voss took the Hungary title again. Really excitingly, and also we have Amy here so she can sing the praises of mountain bikers. Jenny Risbets won in Sweden. Go on, Jenny. She's just signed a road deal with Co-op High Tech Products, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Hope she's still, I mean, I think she's still going to do mountain bike though. I'm sure. I'm sure she would. I do have a big like bone to pick when people like see mountain bikers doing any road and then they're like, oh my God, they should do road full time. Like, man. And I'm like, mm. mountain biking is better. What? <laughs> it's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Urska Zigar in Slovenia. We had Anna Kiesenhofer in Austria, Emma Norsgaard in Denmark again, and Lada Kopecky won in Belgium. There was a lot more that happened, but I think if we were to sit here and read out all the national championships, we'd be here for hours. You're doing a fine job, though. We're just sitting back here and letting you, <laughs> letting you update us, Abby. Like shooting forecast or something. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I'm just, I'm just relaxing into. To, to... <laughs> I'll power through some of them and then I will pause when I know that there's a conversation to be had. Hopefully, we'll say something insightful. Yeah. <laughs> So so here we go for the road races, many of which are not surprising, but also like beautiful to see. Iri Yonamini won in Japan again for human powered health. Mavi Garcia, I just said, won the Spanish national championship again in the Netherlands. Demi Vollering took her first elite Dutch <laughs> national road race. Second? No, first, I think. I think it's her first. Yeah, which, you know, like kind of seems right. I think that a lot of people would have been really happy with basically any Dutch rider winning this, except for Lorena Wiebes, because I don't like it when one rider has like a jersey that trumps the national jersey. So as the European champ, then the Dutch national jersey wouldn't be in the peloton anymore, which would be kind of a bummer. So really cool to see Demi Wallering take this title. And also, you know, in case you needed to be able to spot her more easily. <laughs> well, she does She does look a lot like Marlon Russo on the bike. These they jer- blend together. Quite useful of her to have won that jersey. Thanks, Demi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it's really helpful for us. Thank you. 
<laughs> just interesting reading uh, Annemiek van Vluten's tweets after that saying, should have been glued to Demi, wasn't my mistake, but seemed just generally very happy in her appraisal where she's at her form. But um, yeah, evidently not glued to Demi. Well, she'll have to figure out how to do that by the time July rolls around. Uh, Mariana Voss was back on the road racing since La Vuelta Femenina. She's not braced since then, and she finished third. So great to see the GOAT back in action. She was the first non-SD Works rider to cross the line. Because Serena think was the second. Win. Yeah, it's, you might as well have just won. She should get, like, a, I don't know, some kind of trophy for that. First non-SD Works trophy. They should start this. You know should- how... Have you ever seen Jasper Stoyman makes like chocolates into the shape of jerseys? Maybe Mariana Voss can just have like a box of chocolates that are the Dutch national champ jersey. I think, um, yeah, we need to fashion something and introduce this to the Peloton, don't we, for this year? <laughs> the first non-SD Works rider yeah. should always get some kind of prize. <laughs> the French national championships was actually super exciting to watch. And Victory Berteau of Cofidis won out of a breakaway that included two FDJ Suez riders. Obviously, the French World Tour team, it means a lot to them to have the French national champ jersey in the team. So it was a little bit of an upset for a Cofidis rider to walk away with that. But the course was really awesome, and the finish looked quite challenging. So all in all, a good race. Liana Lippert kept her German national champ jersey. Once again, order restored. Elisa Longaborghini is our Italian national champion again. Did you watch the finish of that as well? It was so good. Like her and Guy Riolini rode so well together. And it is very exciting going into the Giro that we'll talk about shortly because they're both racing the Giro. And I'm very excited to see those that whole group against SC Works. I I have hope. Maybe I'm I'll be disappointed in like 10 days, but I have hope right now. I'm excited. No, I'm with you. I'm really excited. And again, talking about Longo Borghini and, you know, the amount of illness that she's struggled with earlier in the season, but definitely back and uh, just in time for the two biggies. Guy really is just so impressive, like how she's just kind of slotted in this season and just she's killing the game already. Like I tuned in to the Nationals just as she was bridging over with Cavalli to the move with uh, Elisa and Persico. And I was like, oh, like now they've caught, like maybe they'll go for Gaia or like, I don't know. And she just got straight on the front and just started like pulling. Like, and I was just like, what, what a gal. Like, she's so good. Um, But this interview between Persico and that was messy it was really messy and Persico like leaning on Elisa at the finish the photos you could have thought like maybe they're just buds racing against each other and like Persico was just like leaning on her for like a little bit of support but it was definitely like a little bit of a messy finale there Elisa the sprinter continues to impress I think I would have been happy with Persico winning the the national title, like given how much she's progressed and how how exciting of a rider she is for the future. But it's still like Elisa Balsamo took the national title last year from Longaborghini and Elisa Longaborghini was all of a sudden in the regular track kit. 
it like threw you off. Like watching the the Jiro was like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> I would get her and Balsamo confused. They look nothing alike on the bike, but I'd just see the Italian national jersey and I'd be like, oh yeah, it's Elisa Longo Borghini. No, it's not. So yeah. yeah. Again, great for me. Thanks, Elisa, for identification. <laughs> well, all you have to say is Elisa and you're good. So Yeah. <laughs> Something, I mean, going back to what you're saying about Gaia Raylini, the... I, again, I, I know I'm such a cliche full commentator, <laughs> but she does make it look easy. And like, she just sort of like bounces across. And then when she's had, I um just thinking about the time she suffered a mechanical on a really steep gradient and then just gone like, no problem, I'll just pedal back up. Like it does genuinely look effortless. But something that I keep thinking about is um, I heard another commentary team talking about the element of the legal bike weight versus her body weight and I just can't unsee it now and like the proportion of her overall weight being you know this this massive bike compared to just how light she is as a rider um I mean that's probably another conversation but she is spectacular to watch and she's just yeah it's just her pedaling style on a climb it's beautiful I love her little cap too like she's got some flair but yeah, I, I talked with Ashley Moon Passio on a podcast formerly at a different place about how much the weight impacts her. And she's like twice the size of Guy Riolini, but still tiny. So it's like, yeah, she's like the <laughs> bike must weigh so much compared to her as a person. And I feel that if it was, if the same thing was in men's cycling, the rule would change. But obviously it's, it's based on men's cycling and it doesn't favor riders like Guy Rilini or Ashley or like Veronica Ewers. She's also like quite a petite rider. Yeah. It's probably about time to introduce like a different weight limit for women. Like it kind of makes sense. Like it's kind of a no brainer actually. I don't really know why it hasn't been done already. Yeah. You know, this is actually a perfect opportunity to, I had, a, we had a question from one of our listeners a couple of weeks ago about whether or not the, uh, growth of women's cycling is going to impact the industry's production of bikes that fit riders the size of Guy Riolini or smaller than the average bike user. And I asked Dave Rome, one of our resident tech experts at Escape Collective, and he sent me an eight minute long audio. So here for the first time ever is eight minutes worth of tech talk in the Wheel Talk podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey Elizabeth, it's a good question, and I think it's it's one of those questions that for every person you ask, you'll probably get a, a very different opinion of. Uh, for me, I mean, this is this is actually uh, something I've been watching relatively closely for for the last ten years or so, and worked with a a few journalists over the years to to put together, I guess, roundups and, and features on, on this topic of, of how it's progressed and sort of we've seen in the last decade some pretty big progression where we went from uh, an industry that, that sort of saw the female market as, as something that they could basically apply the, the cliche design tactic of shrink it and pink it. Uh, and then we saw that market, I guess, grow to enough prominence that uh, this previously male-dominated industry actually put some real money in R&D and looked at the data and started to make women-specific bikes. So, you know, there was a time where we saw Specialized and Trek and Giant and uh, 
Canyon came later, but there was there was quite a few brands that were putting money into creating legitimately good women specific bikes uh, that weren't just smaller, but designed specifically around a, a different set of fit data and had the suitable components to match. Uh, at the same time, we even saw someone like Shimano uh, create shorter reach brake levers, uh, and that looked like it was going to become a the next big thing. And then. I guess for Specialized and Trek, they they had enough sales, but they effectively reassessed what their data was was saying, and they looked at more recent data, especially based on their internal data, which they get through their their own bike fitting systems. And they decided that they didn't actually need women specific geometry; they just needed proportional geometry, so better size range that went to smaller frame sizes with with more appropriate stem lengths, more appropriate handlebar widths, uh, with better handlebar drops, for example, of course, better saddles, shorter cranks, and all that. And that's basically what they did. So they just updated their uh, their general ranges of road bikes and, and products and uh, slowly yeah, wound down their women-specific ranges. Uh, the skeptical view is that they did it because it's cheaper to produce one bike than two different bikes. Uh, but for me, I think, uh, realistically, the the data is potentially a little wishy-washy when you, when you really look at it as to whether um, women need truly different geometry. Um, they just typically just need a different fit. So it's, I think there's that. Uh, you've also got the other argument from, say, Canyon and from Giant's offshoot women's brand Live. Um, where they're still obviously wholly invested in women-specific products, and at least from Liv's case, they they still claim that there are important geometry differences. Uh, namely, when you look at the frames, it, it tends to come with a like a higher stack and a, a shorter reach, so the bikes are uh, a little bit more relaxed. And I'd actually say that that is in reverse of what racing uh, sort of performance-focused riders are looking for. Uh, you'll often find people that come from performance backgrounds, uh, racing backgrounds, they actually tend not to always get on with those live bikes. And they, in, in some cases, they prefer the, the giant equivalent of the bike where it's, it's a bit lower and longer in its fit. So yeah, it's, it's obviously it's incredibly personal. Um, but I guess on that, I, I don't necessarily think that racing is, is going to be the best, uh, the best area or the best side of the industry for, uh, the trickle down to happen from, uh, it's really, uh, the best bikes come from consumer demand, and often what the racers want is is a very small niche segment of the market that doesn't necessarily always produce the best product. Uh, you know, the the professional racers getting uh, different maintenance on their body on a on a daily basis. They're getting massages after every race. They're they're training their bodies to be able to hold very aggressive and aerodynamic racing positions. And yeah, that just doesn't necessarily lead to a bike that suits the everyday person. So there's that side of it. From a component side of things, uh, I think there's, there's again, there's been huge developments in the last 10 years. Uh, one great example that I like to look back on is is the Specialized Power Saddle, that short nose saddle that Specialized has been hugely successful with. Uh, they've been so successful with it that basically every other saddle brand that I can think of has effectively copied them. 
and the story with that saddle is that it was apparently originally designed as a women-specific product, and uh, some of the men within the specialized company had tried it and decided that it was an improvement over the rest of the saddles, and uh, yeah, it just became this universal saddle that is now equipped on all of specialized performance bikes when I think about it. Like, it's it's a saddle that comes on everything from their road bikes through to uh, through to their mountain bikes. And it's, yeah, they've sold a lot of them. Uh, I think things like brake levers, yeah, I mentioned before that Shimano did briefly do a shorter reach version of, I think it was what, a 105 level brake lever. Uh, and that was really designed for the female market. Uh, but I think in recent time, we've seen them go and introduce hydraulic disc brakes, which have, of course, seen those levers get quite long in their effective reach. But at the same time, we're now seeing them, the next iteration of that, where they've decided that that long length of brake lever is not great for everyone. It's actually not great for the vast majority of Shimano's customers. Uh, Like me personally, I'm very much average height, but I still hated those long long levers that they offered. So... Uh, yeah, the latest generation from Shimano, the latest generation from SRAM. You're really seeing a more compact lever come into the market. Uh, it's a much smaller profile overall. I'd say it's potentially the smallest we've we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, and yeah, obviously that's partly helped by uh, electronics as well. But the latest mechanical stuff from SRAM, um, SRAM Apex just came out. And that as well, uh, they really emphasize keeping it small and comparable to their their latest uh, electronic shifter, which is no small feat. But uh, yeah, the other thing with the brake levers is we've now seen a brake lever reach. So how far the brake lever sits away from the handlebar, uh, that feature has now become almost standard, uh, which was actually a rarity. Like a decade ago, uh, it wasn't that uncommon to need to use like rubber wedges to to bring the brake lever back. Now it's just a little screw and that works quite well. So yeah, I think overall the market's progressing in a in a good direction. Uh, generally speaking, we're seeing handlebar widths in road bikes come down. We're seeing more compact shapes being used. Uh, we're seeing shorter cranks becoming standard and more readily available. So I think it's, uh, yeah, things are going in the right direction. And I think generally speaking, uh, the industry is paying more attention to the needs of smaller riders and perhaps figuring out along the way, whether accidental or not, that some of these features designed for smaller riders are better for everyone. So, and then that in turn is is creating even smaller products for smaller riders. So yeah, uh, I think we're, we're going in the right direction. There's always more to be done, but uh, I'm at least optimistic that uh, we've come a long way in the last 10 years and I think there's still a, a long way uh, yet to go. Hope that helps. Yeah, something interesting is looking at the rules and how to evolve them as the sport progresses and we see different riders come through. And I believe, actually, that Ashimore and Passio's weight, I think her exact weight is the lowest you can go on Zwift, or at least it was at one point, because, again, I think she looked at what she could input as her data in the earlier days of Zwift, and it didn't go light enough. And so I believe, unless it's changed recently, that's as light as you can go, is actually more than Passio's weight. But they had to look at that because she was lighter than the, the restriction. They must have, you kids and stuff can ride Zwift, no? There is so, a limit. 
I need to uh, I need to read up on where it's at because again I think they've looked at that and obviously Ashley's been a rider that's been instrumental in looking at the gaming uh, element and insight like that and it's been so useful so yeah I think there is a limit I don't think you can go on with your correct weight if you're too young to do it but I'll, en- I'll endeavor to have a little look talk amongst yourselves I <laughs> I wonder um yeah I I think it's kind of the things like this that are issues in women's cycling I feel like are just it's there's so many bigger issues that this is something that isn't going to be tackled for quite some time the the issue of the bike weight like it's it's definitely something it's something that impacts like a very small percentage of the peloton for one but it's also like there are bigger fish to fry at the moment but that sucks for like guy riolini because she can't even like reach her shifters if she's in the drops oh really her hands are too small they're not adjust that me knowing all these things about time even like even to the adjusted to as close as they can possibly be she can't reach her shifters in the, she can't reach her brakes from the drops Imagine descending like an alpine pass and you can't reach your brakes. Maybe that's why she's such a sender. She just like, woo. <laughs> With her elbows out. It's not like... me. <laughs> Side note on that. Be... I don't know if anyone else has experienced this problem. But when you've got long nails and you're in the drops. And oh, you... yeah. And you yeah. shift. You can rip a nail off and it hurts so bad. In mind it hurts. I'm not ripping my nail because I'm riding a bike. Like <laughs> I did it. I had like acrylic nails on and I was racing Omloop at Newswad and I shifted and like ripped the nail right off and I was like crying in the race. This sounds so dumb, but it is a problem. And I oh, and stupid. a lot of the pros have acrylic nails. But, so Lorena Weber, she always has long nails. And I'm like, how do you how, how? do you shift? I really want to ask her. She must shift like with her fingers sideways. Yeah. Well, this is this is fascinating because I do currently have acrylic nails on, and maybe I'm just not riding enough or or well enough. We've really well, we've really gone this. into a niche. All of our male <laughs> listeners are like, "What They've on gone. earth?" They've but left. You can see the extent of. Bring back Mad Denise. I'll I'll tweet, I'll tweet a photo. Um, they look really good. Oh, thank you. I mean, obviously, that's what I was after. That compliment. Uh, <laughs> but I've not had a problem shifting. <laughs> maybe it's different types of what what. We could go into so much. <laughs> this is getting deep. Are they on <laughs> SRAM? I think, yeah. I think they're SRAM's on SRAM. Easier, I think. I'm running SRAM. I think <laughs> SRAM is easier to shift. And I and they also have like uh, yeah, I think that they're the the paddles are easy like are more responsive. Yes. Do you know yeah. what I've only just it's only just occurred to me if I was on Shimano, I'd have a huge problem. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely right. So needs to tell Shimano to sort it out for the girlies that get the nails done. Please. Trauma. Girlies that get their nails done and they love Shimano, of which I fall into this category. I have I have until very recently been Shimano all the way lifelong and I've I've switched to SRAM at the moment. Obviously because of the acrylics. <laughs> <laughs> because of the acrylic nails. That's actually a big <laughs> equation. If I get a new bike, I'm gonna be like, no, it needs sorry, it needs to be SRAM because my nails. Okay, I'm I'm gonna redirect us back yeah, we have done. to the national championships because <laughs> we've really gone off on a tailspin. Oh, well, I, I, I finally got I finally got a brief bit of information. Uh, 
from the Google. Um, 45 kilograms used to be the lowest minimum weight, but now it's lower. And I know that junior and young riders are encouraged to use Zwift. So my uh, information earlier might have been dated. Nice. Cool. Well, I mean, if it's still right, even if it was dated. Ashley Ashley Moen-Pasio out there just changing the changing the game all the time. She weighed more than 45 kilos, surely. I think five kilos. Don't make me go back on Google. (laughs) Okay, speaking of changing the game, Lotta Kopecky, one in Belgium, another like piece of the universe slides into place. Lotta Kopecky back in the Belgian national champ jersey. Love to see it. Also, SC Works does such a good job with the national jersey. So really excited about that. Uh, Less excited about Pfeiffer Georgie's GB jersey on uh, DSM, but I thought it was all right because she had it last time. Yeah, I think that there's only some jerseys that they've really botched, but maybe they did okay with with the Great Britain jersey. You can't really go wrong with it. Just white and then put the stripes on. Like it's it's a pretty nice jersey. You would think that, but like wait until we see some of the like UAE. I was gonna say she's not on UAE. I mean, let's wait for Lizzie Holden's TT one, and then we'll see something. Yeah, the the Latvian national champ who's on UAE the UAE Devo team, Anastasia Anastasia Carbonari. She had a national champ kit last year that was like the Austrian flag. <laughs> it's like no, <laughs> it's not yeah. the right red. Um, but yeah. anyway, yeah, Pfeiffer Georgie won the the Great Britain national championship, and it's her second time taking that title. But it was an awesome race. So good was so good I, I mean i'm not gonna lie i had a much closer eye on the on the home race for me and um yeah watched exactly how that all played out whereas obviously i've tried to keep a, a bit of a broader view on what's been going on around the world and everything across the tt and road race but what a spectacular win for her and um we Pfeiffer and i share the same manager emma wade for anyone that knows her in the industry absolutely fantastic and we were having a little chat about this and obviously when she won it uh, when Pfeiffer won the National Stripes last time in 2021, um, she was actually only able to wear the jersey for a shortened season because we were still obviously post-COVID and everything had moved, hadn't it? So it was a, at a much later date in the in the calendar. So I think it makes it even more special for her to have that on her shoulders. But she always looks, despite the form she's in, despite how she's riding, I don't know about you, but I think she always looks surprised by herself and she was obviously delighted, but she doesn't take it for granted. And I think when she put in that huge power move, she's almost looking in disbelief that it's paid off. And I think she said something in the press about how she planned for it. She believed it. She knew she could execute it, but still kind of shocked herself with with the way she went and and held that well it was such a dominant move from the basically the bottom of that last climb right she just like kind of just let rip and like no one could follow which I think having looked at the course and the riders that were in that front group like I just saying guys I pretty much called it from the start I was like this is Pfeiffer's gonna win like because she was the punchiest one in that group like she's just she's just a class act isn't she really like I think she's just like the full package and it's really good to see like young riders coming through the British scene that are such talented and like kind of well-rounded riders I guess she is so well-rounded and I think um 
the way she executed that after doing so much work again for me was what was most impressive perhaps just calmly riding so so well that she marks everything and she doesn't just mark it she'll pull she'll do the work where it's necessary yeah she just has such a calm head on her shoulders and always has done I mean I was looking back this morning at how long she's actually been on DSM now and you know in her fifth season and you do forget how young she still is because she's such a mature rider isn't she watching her over the last couple years has been so exciting and what's even better is that her role on DSM especially now that she's kind of one of the top riders on the team on a really young team is she's progressed from being kind of the new rider on DSM in a very short amount of time to becoming like the leader on the road and also like a a dominant leader on the road when you look at the the teammates she has obviously she has Charlotte cool for a lot of the sprints but she is such a capable rider that i think that they will be turning to her more and more in the years to come for any kind of race and she's not on the roster for the Giro which I would assume means that she's on the roster for the tour which is super exciting it's it's really really exciting um as you just quickly going back to the kit I was in Barcelona a couple of weeks ago to launch the DSM Firmlich new team name and they will have a slightly different kit unveiling at the Giro so I am looking forward to seeing <laughs> seeing her national jersey um in that new guys but the the stripes stripes are still there um so it's not changed a huge amount but yeah it's interesting to see what what they're doing behind the scenes um and we can talk about this later because i know we're going to delve into a little bit of tech talk and it's interesting looking at that culmination of the two sponsors coming together now but yeah pfeiffer is just she's happy in amazement actually since i've been following her career she's an incredible artist have you ever gone on instagram and seen her artwork it's absolutely phenomenal like she could undoubtedly just go and do that if she wanted and then I was reading how she was a really talented ballet she's done all these other sports trampolining and and she was still as you'll know when she came into the pro peloton with DSM she was still finishing up at school and she was just unwavering in races despite having all her exams and uh, yeah, I just um, I just can't believe how she's just uh, nailing absolutely everything, really. Man, her and Megan Jastrab, what a pair. She graduated this year from college with like, I don't know, she had a 3.9 GPA or something. And then she went to the Olympics in that time and podiuming at World Tour races. Wild. The two of them. Wild. What are we doing? Dream <laughs> level of my, I mean, I am multitasking quite a lot these days, but to, but I'm not sure to the level of success in any of the elements that Pfeiffer Georgie is in every element of her life. Um, but it was it was really brilliant to see somebody else um, in the British National Road Race that really really stood out for me was Eleanor Barker, and it was an interesting one because you look at the way she rode, and it was quite frankly incredible a form on the road at the moment. And I found myself thinking, well, will she be disappointed to not get on the podium? Of course, she'd already um, got bronze on the podium in the TT, which was fantastic. But to watch her in the road race um, and then think, oh, fourth, she's just missed the podium. But actually, in the past, yeah, we know her pedigree, but 
she is so finely tuned for that massive success she's had on the track but to come onto the road and then us be going oh fourth not third you know or not second or not taking the win um just shows where she's at actually this season with Uno X on the road and obviously um I've been well for anyone that was listening last time I've had an amazing relationship with Anna Nabarka recently because we went through pregnancy as did you Abby at the same time and so I'm really wary as a post-race interviewer reporter or commentator that I'm not always bringing that narrative back to well you're a mum and yeah you want to talk about the race you want to talk about how someone's executed something tactically but equally I really do actually think it's important to note where she's come from having had her baby just over a year ago and then to come back into form not only on the track but the track and the road and we know now that with the world championships in Glasgow coming up because it's the first time every discipline will be rolled into one event like one massive massive event now for the world she's actually putting her hat in the ring for the road and the track so I am just so excited to see what we what we get from Ellen and X. Yeah, she's such an ex- such an exciting rider and I think like she's been getting better and better on the road every year even without having had a baby a little over a year ago which still just like blows my mind um that people can do that. <laughs> I I feel like yeah, it is it, it can become overplayed but it's also like it, you can't overstate how impressive it is that someone can do that not not even like if you think about the time involved in becoming a professional athlete, it is a, it's not a full-time job. It's a 24 seven thing. And then you add on the time that it takes to be a mother or a parent. And it's just like wild to me that someone can do both. I, 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 yeah, I, I like cannot stop singing the praises of the mothers in the Peloton because they are doing way more than, everyone else <laughs> and there's more and more of them now oh it's so exciting Chantel Vandenberg Black just had her baby as well did you know that scientifically it takes seven years for your body to like quote bounce back after having a baby seven years for your body to be normal again to be pre-pregnancy <laughs> again <laughs> what oh. if you have two what happens then is it 14 then you tack on seven years on top of the whatever you have left damn seven more years so bounce back culture can swivel too i mean bounce back in terms of like your muscles becoming pre-pregnancy again your brain because your brain literally changes when you have a baby for your brain to like return to its former state it takes seven years for your whole body yeah I think it's gonna take seven years for me to talk as articulately on a podcast as I might have done pre-pregnancy yeah because in seven years you'll maybe be sleeping through the night yes (laughs) and sleeping in I can't I just can't talk I can't talk about it anymore every time I say I've had a night's sleep it all just falls apart unravels it unravels that's because they can tell keep quiet they're like you mentioned that I slept didn't you and then they're like, I'm not going to do it tonight. Anyway, I think we should change the subject before we jinx ourselves. We've already Back to that. the national titles. We just keep, we're going. I love this. This is great. Wait, okay. can't, before we move on from the British nationals, I think yeah. we can't talk about it without mentioning uh, Claire Steeles. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess also in terms of the British Nationals, I also want to mention Anna Shackley because she had a really great race coming back from injury and she won the U23 title, which I guess like in some countries, in most places, they merge the elite and the U23. And then sometimes you'll have like happened, uh, we talked about it last week with um, Christine Mayurus was second in the TT, but she won the elite title. Uh, so she'll still be in the Jersey because the, the girl who beat her, whose name is escaping me, but she's, she's on AG insurance. She entered in the U23 category. So even though she won the whole thing, she only is the U23 national champ. So Anna Shackley, good thing. She didn't win the whole thing because whoever was second would have won, um, (laughs) but she did win the U23 title. And I, I'm such a big fan of her, so I was happy to see her back racing and back like at the pointy end of a race. But yeah, please tell us about Claire Seals. What do you mean? Um, well, I don't know too much about her, but I just know that she's quite new to the sport and she's, I think, 36. And she's, I think, this, this yeah, I'm sure this is her first year on Israel Premier Tech or whatever. She's actually just been crushing it this year. Um all the way back from Tour Down Under. She was really impressive. Um, and she just rode really well. She was in what was the cream of the crop group and the nationals and she came second. So I don't know, I just thought it was really impressive. So she is 36. Um, she's someone that I followed quite a lot because I was reporting um, for Eurosport in the UK on a lot of the domestic racing. So it was one of those names where you're almost doubting yourself like where's she come from have I just missed something here but she obviously just smashed into the scene 36 years of age now and is just riding so well isn't she and I think we got a chance to really see that in context with that absolute cream front group and she yeah she did an absolutely storming ride and I believe she works as a personal trainer so is obviously in very fine form but I think the way that she's come in as an older rider um we know she's fit we know she can put out power but actually the way she read and and rode the race I guess is is taking that to the next level so it's mightily impressive to see that I know that I'm dwelling on my home race here I'm just going to apologize (laughs) for that now but a couple of other rides really um struck me in that as well and that was um Alex Morris from Canyon Shram I was speaking to Dean Downing who's been coaching her for the last year or so a little bit longer than that and he was just saying again she's kind of almost really come from nowhere in terms of her progression over 12 months and she didn't have an ideal race but she kept riding herself back up to that front group and I think ended up in seventh in the end but I think if you look at the fact that she only took up cycling during lockdown in 2020 then did her first race won that moved up a category won that just bounced up through the British category system and then rode like she did yesterday she's a really exciting one to watch as well so yeah I think between her and Claire Steeles there there were some really interesting rides in there also Flora Perkins who could be seen vomiting off of her bike but continuing to chase back on just constantly she was like wouldn't take no for an answer it was super impressive I missed that one bloody hell yeah that happened all right continuing on although I do want to mention really quick that if you missed the men's British national championship. That was like the best race of the weekend. Um, man, was it good between the weather, the riders involved, the finish, everything, the interviews. I mean, like 
highly recommend checking that out. It was so um, long. It was really long. <laughs> yeah. I I would I would maybe maybe steer people in the direction of watching like the final hour to 90 minutes. Um cuz no one's got time for that. Hard course, <laughs> hard course. I will continue to butcher names as I say that Rebecca Corner won the Danish national championship for Uno X. Erska Pinter for Slovenia. She used to be on UAE. She's on BTC now. Uh, Suzanne Anderson won the Norwegian national championships. Also Uno X, which is a great, great result for her. I'm excited to see the, her jersey. Marlon Rooster won in Switzerland. So notch. Yeah, totally saw that coming. Solo, obviously. Um <laughs> Christine Mayerus won the Luxembourg National Championship on the road again. How many is that now? Okay, so since, what, t- 2007, she's won the TT. I could assume that it's the same on the road. Mm. Math. That- A lot. <laughs> <laughs> A Dude. couple. How weird would it be if she lost and mm. she was in the regular kit? No. I wouldn't know what I was watching. I would, Yeah. All the riders who won their national championships and like re-centered the universe, it would then just be like thrown out the window. <laughs> like, forget it. <laughs> it's over. Laura Lizette Sander won the Estonian national championship for AG Insurance, Blanca Voss in Hungary. Two of my favorite riders on planet Earth won their national championships. Allison Jackson won in Canada after an incredible amount of, uh, bit of teamwork from Sarah Poitavin, my former teammate and one of my favorite human beings. And Amelia Fallon won in Sweden. Another, like, just make sense moment. Excellent. Yep. So that's the national championships. I think that with our <laughs> many diver diverges around conversations we can now change our focus to the giardana which is going to start friday with we had this debate last year is it a pre prologue is it a time trial it's 4.4 kilometers long last year was 4.7 and we were like i think it's a prologue it was one in like just under six minutes by chris and faulkner last year so is it a prologue is it a time trial amy i'm loving your face no, you can see it, but I'm enjoying it. That's got a segue into your reaction. <laughs> I don't care. It's just, I, it's too confusing. Like it doesn't matter. I don't know why they couldn't have tacked on ten extra Some, kilometers. Someone just decide, and then let's just. I don't know. Shouldn't they? I mean, do we? We can't trust them with anything. You know, we? I guess the only the only reason that I think it matters is because it's going to be like a five ish minute effort, and it t- counts as a stage. So <laughs> if you look at it, the race is already one day short. Like it's already only nine days instead of ten, which it's supposed to be like the ten day race for the women, and it's only nine days. And then if you factor on that, the first stage they're only actually racing for like five minutes. They only race eight days. And so I think in that sense, that is why it matters. Yeah. But in the sense of like, is it a prologue or a TT? It doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it's technically a bit of a cop out really, isn't it? It is. It's a little bit like throwing a a crit as the last stage of a a race, for example. Although it's worse than that because crits are still like really exciting. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna argue that a little bit, actually. I, I you should argue that. That was a stupid take. I don't. I don't 
yeah, I don't know that a crit is that to the same extent of warming up. I guess I was thinking like Tour of California. (laughs) Back in the day when Tour of California was only three stages and the final stage was a crit, it felt like a cop-out. Like it, yeah, it no, felt you can like have you can have that. Yeah. But like in terms of like the women's tour, the final race being a crit, it it's awesome. It's like a really great end to the race. So I think it depends on the race. But in the sense of this, I don't know. Um, I think maybe like a slight hint of disappointment will be uh, blanketed over this entire race, mm-hmm. no matter what. And having it start off with such a short stage in an already shortened race is is a little bit of a bummer. But I think like it does make for a little bit of an interesting start to the race in that it favors like a sprinter type to win, which means that the fight for the pink jersey in the first couple days is going to be pretty interesting, kind of like last year where we had Kristen Faulkner was in the first one, obviously, and then Elisa Balsamo took, took it on stage two with bonus seconds. So it might be interesting in that sense. We shall see. And stage two is already like a pretty interesting one. I don't know how this is going to end, but it's 102K, which is pretty short for a road stage with a category two climb 15 kilometers from the finish. The climb is 16K long and averages 4.5%. Yeah, exactly, Amy. Exactly. So it's not an insignificant climb, but it's not exactly like GC classification climb but it's also like 16k is is a long is a long climb so i was thinking that this stage looks great for yumbo visma to like line it out on the front and try to drop the sprinters but hold on to voss maybe if they wanted to do that because then voss could take the pink jersey but we'll see it's a really interesting day have you recovered from it being 16 kilometers long yet the climb me yeah yeah. I was, you know what I was doing then? I was concentrating on the profile. I'd like got it up and I was looking at it like. Oh, was that what that was? Yeah. I thought that was your reaction. It was a bit of both. A reaction there. <laughs> no, it was a bit of both. I was like, oh, that's long. But I was also like trying to read it at the same time. Like, what is that? Oh, it all um, makes sense now. Yeah. I'm quite right. Potential boss. Potential boss day. It is a potential boss day, but it could also be like an opportunistic rider who could try to take this on the descent. I don't think Marlon Roos is racing, but like I would I would pick her if she was for something like this. Marlon Roos's descending is chef's kiss. Oh my gosh. She was amazing. Like I thought Kasha was good. She put her to shame at Tour de Suisse. She did. She did. Sorry, Cassia. She did. Sorry. We love you. At this, at this point in the week, we are rather cobbling together, aren't we? Who we know is and isn't riding um but because we've just gone off at so many tangents i just wanted to get to you once again abby um the fact that we do know um the lineup for little trek and we have that in the guise of a shopping receipt (laughs) yeah it was a really good it was a really good way to present really good way to present the lineups i liked as well how they put how many of each one uh, yeah. Like the men, they did how many tours and the women, how many Giro's they've done. And yeah. at least 11. I was shook. She's been around for a yeah. while. So I think she maybe is one of the most like popular women in the Peloton now too. And I feel she's, she deserves that title. I think she's only gotten it in the last like two years, but she's, she is like 
one of the greatest that we have in the Peloton. Even though she doesn't win all the time, she is just consistently there. She is the most consistent rider ever when she's healthy. And this is something I won't know because I never went to the heights that you did in cycling, nowhere near it. Um, Is there just that feeling of respect when somebody's not only that good, but that consistent and been that consistent for so long? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that there's even more respect for someone like Aliza, who's who's consistently good than someone who has a couple really good results, but otherwise has a hard time. I think like, yeah, for, it's, it is so hard to be so consistent because your form fluctuates throughout the year, but it also fluctuates from year to year, depending on, you know, what you're going on in life. If you switch a coach, if you move, if you have a breakup, all of these things like factor into how your form is. And for someone to be that consistent for so long, given that she's also been living the same life that we've all been living is pretty incredible. All right. Stage three is definitely a sprinter stage. There is one category three climb in the first 50 kilometers of the race. But other than that, it is flat or as flat as we think a stage would be in the Giordana. You never know. You do never know. Well, this is something else that it's very easy for me to say from a commentary box or a sofa that I think something's pan flat. (laughs) And then I quite often actually see it play out and think, "Mm, maybe I was a little bit dismissive. Especially with the Giro. Yeah. Yeah. The Giro is like its own monster. I think this one looks pretty flat. And I think given that the stage before it is probably not going to be a sprinter stage, I think it will be at the very most a reduced bunch sprint, uh, a very reduced bunch. And then the stage after this is quite challenging. And so I think that this stage is going to be a sprinter stage because they have limited opportunity in eight days of racing. And either end of this is not one. So that's my guess. Which there sprint- are not, who knows? There are not a ton of sprinters on the start list that we know of. There's uh, not a ton of people on the start list. Though. There's only two people. There's only two teams on the start list that we know of as we're recording this. But I think that we can safely say that Voss is a good shout to win any sprint stage. She has won like how many stages of the Giro again? I think it's like 20, 24 or something. Some, no, 37. I don't have it on a little receipt. Um, so I can't, <laughs> I can't confirm that right now, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she, no, I remember last year when she won multiple stages of the Giro, that there was this whole kerfuffle about how Cav was going for the Merck's record and how Voss had already done it at the Giro. You're absolutely right. So she she's won. She, 32 32 okay well it's close it's very close to the to the record of at the tour but yeah Voss the goat I think will be aiming for even more stages of the Giro and as far as we can tell at the moment she is really the only sprinter lining up we have like a couple sprintery types on Trek like Loretta Hansen, maybe they'll let her kind of kind of go for it. She's got a good kick on her when she's allowed to do something. Um, but I think like for Trek, they clearly are geared toward the general classification instead of any kind of stage hunting. And they don't have Balsamo after she crashed um, and and broke her face, so she's still out, unfortunately. Um, and DSM also doesn't have Charlotte Cool, so who they they had last year they had cool and Weebus, and this year they they don't um they have 
Megan Jastrab, I think, would be a great shout for a couple sprint stages. Like, she clearly has been working on her sprint, and she looked great in the spring. And so I think maybe she'll be who they're sprinting for based on the rest of the lineup. Mm-hmm. There's also Marta Bastianelli. Yeah, it's her last race of her career. Mm-hmm. So she'll really want to take a stage. Stage yeah. four is the longest stage of the race at 135, 30, 134 kilometers, That's which so short, hey. it's really short. Like remember 2020 when there was a 165 kilometer long stage won by Lizzie Banks. And in the end, it was like 170 with the neutral. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the longest stage of the race, but it's still not long, um, which I don't know. I think we're all really looking forward to the takeover from RCS, given the drama that we've gone through this year with this race. Honestly, I'm like, you know, this is how I feel about the Giro. You know, when like you're with someone and you feel like you're going to break up with them and you start to like detach emotionally. That's how I feel about the Giro. Do you know how I feel about the Giro? New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. Because New Year's Eve always has so much hype. And you're always so excited for New Year's Eve. And you get dressed up and you put on heels and you do your makeup. And then you go out for New Year's Eve and it sucks. Every single time it sucks. It is never a fun time, New Year's Eve. And that's how I feel about the Giro. Is every time I'm get I get excited because it's the Giro and it's this huge thing in women's cycling. It's like the 34th edition of the Giro. It's a big deal. It's the longest race we have on the calendar in terms of stages. And every single time I'm I'm like really excited. And then the live coverage craps out on the Queen stage or like the it things get rerouted. The the freaking whole when Lizzie Banks won that stage of the Giro, they sent them on a wrong. They sent them the wrong way. It's like that this. These things always happen with this race. And so I feel like I always like want to hype it. And then I'm always disappointed. Good on you for being optimistic every time though. I just went full cynical. Just like Yeah, but it's painful for me. <laughs> so You're getting your heart broken. All right. Stage, this stage, longest stage, and also we have three categorized climbs. Uh, all three of which are in the second half and they're all category threes, but they're back to back to back. So I think that this will be an exciting stage for maybe a breakaway. We'll see. Stage five, three categories, climbs, two threes and a one. And the cat one is pretty early on in the stage. So this is the stage that I have marked for Anamiek Van Vluten to do what Anamiek Van Vluten does. Remember stage four last year when I swore that that was going to be a breakaway day and Amy said it's a general classification day and I didn't listen to her and then she was right because that was the day that Anamiek and Mavi Garcia and Marta Cavalli rode away and the general classification was done. That's what I'm seeing happening here because you've got the category one stage, the category one climb right in the beginning of the stage. They basically start and start climbing. And then there are two category threes later on in the stage that lead to the finish, which is slightly uphill. And this just looks like a repeat of stage four from last year. You're happy that was mentioned, aren't you, Amy? Very. Yes. I like being right. This is the whole reason I wanted Amy on this episode. Just so I could (laughs) tell her she was right. Oh. We can make this a weekly thing if you want. What do you <laughs> What do you guys think? What do you think of this stage? I think it looks really exciting. Mhm. I think it looks like the first GC stage. Yeah. For sure. Especially because those two state those two climbs at the back end, I think will be harder than they look on paper. Probably. The other th- the only thing though is that 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 climb does come quite early. 
Yeah, but um, but it's only a hundred and three kilometer long stage. Yeah. So it looks early, but it's still like once they're done with it, once they get to the bottom, they've only got 50, 60 K left in the stage. You can, Anamik can do 60 K solo. So we know, well, we, we think we're pretty sure that we know we're going to have Anamik. We're not going to have Bollering. We're not, no Demi Bollering. Um, Serving yourself for the Tour de France fam. But yeah, we yeah she can, can't she? <laughs> we know what Annemiek can do. But as you know, I'm just obsessed with seeing how they're uh, going to fare against each other in the tour. Um, so yeah, a little bit disappointed not to see both of them um, go for something on that stage. But bollering, yeah, hanging back. And I need this is again another conversation. But the length of time between the Giro and the tour. Not surprised, Demi's skipping it, but also equally Annemiek van Vloot and she wants to try and do it all, doesn't she, as much as possible in, in what uh, we again think will definitely be her retirement year. Yeah, I I'm I feel like the the fact that the two favourites for the tour have gone two completely different routes in terms of like prep is making the tour more interesting to me because we're going to go into it knowing how Van Vluten is riding and having no idea how Demi is riding. And I feel like that's... There's a there's a sense of mystery involved in that that I think makes it super cool. And and there's still like a bit of unknown with Anamik going into this. I mean, she got the floor wiped with her at the time trial at the Dutch National Championships and she just come down from alt- altitude like Gracie said last episode, but it's Anamik. Like she is the world she's the former world champ in time trialing. So I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see like and one of the reasons I think that this stage suits her is because her climbing isn't hasn't been on par this year and maybe that's just up against Vollering, but up against Guy Riolini, I don't know. I don't mm. know how that's going to go. So my hot take is that Anamik's done. Oh wow. I reckon I ha- we're not going to see it. Wait. I missed your hot takes so much. <laughs> no, I just think she's off the boil. Like, I don't know. I just think she can't get back to the level that she's had. And I reckon the elastic snapped a bit, maybe. And her head's probably also rolled off with SD Wicks completely destroying her. I don't know. That's my hot I take. I think that she's my age like milk, but <laughs> I think she's not the type to yeah remember when I wrote that article at the other place that was like the age of Anamika is over and then she went and won the Giro the next day it was great I loved that moment for me I I was yeah I was <laughs> just waiting to chip in with my I'm gonna disagree with you Amy just because we've seen this so many times where we've got like she's really really sick there's absolutely no way she's gonna come bounce back uh, on st- you know the next stage tomorrow or she's like broken a wrist or and then she'll just basically come back and absolutely smash it anyway so I'm so used to that throughout her career I hear you but I'm still not ruling it out that she's suddenly going to come into the tour and do something very exciting but I just can't I just can't wait to see her and how she's gonna fare against Demi Vollering because I just like those images in my head from Demi last year basically doing what Annemiek says she didn't do in, in the road champs, um, but gluing herself 
onto Annemiek's wheel and knowing that there was absolutely nothing else she could do because Annemiek was just going to go when she went and all she could do was try and cling on. But then she knew that. And I think knowing that and having the ability to do something about it are two different things. But we know what Demi's done over the winter from the snapshots we've seen and how she's come into this year with the form she's got. But we know she conditions so much off the bike. She knows exactly what she needs to do. And that's why I just really, really want to see that head-to-head again and just see if it will be flipped, if it will go the other way. And there's, yeah, there's a good chance that it that it will. But I don't think we can discount Adamique yet. I think that how she fares in this race up against like not as strong competition as she will face at the tour will really impact how she races at the tour. Like if she is beaten by Guy Riolini in this race or Mavi Garcia or Marta Cavalli is coming back. Neve. She looks great. Knee Fisher Black. Yeah, definitely. Want a stage of Swiss. Like she's, She's on fire. Anyway, if she's beat by one of these riders, I it will be really interesting to see how that impacts her going into the tour and how that impacts her break in between the two. I, I think that that's, yeah. But it's it's on a meek. She's just like next level. Mm. Like it seems like nothing phases her. But that's such an interesting point, though, Abby, about the psychology, because she has come back against the odds so many times and gone, do you know what? I know that even with illness and injury, I am the strongest person in this peloton. And mentally, she's known that. So that is probably the most interesting element, isn't it? How is that going Mm -hmm. to affect her without being able to say, yeah, but I know I can do what I do on a climb and nothing else will matter by that point I will just ride away and we haven't seen her as you say I mean being able to do that so far this season so I wonder how much of a head game it's going to be for her especially again depending on on the jury but yeah Gaia Raelini you know I I bet Anamik agrees with me that she wishes there was a longer time trial because if there was a longer time trial she would have a way better chance against someone like Raelini but given that there isn't although let's get into the next stages because there's not really that much climbing either um so stage six another short one 104 and it's the first uphill finish but it's like a kicker so it's like it's a cat three quite short um and punchy and there's two cat threes before it so it's potentially like a Voss day or It could be like a small group of punchy riders that includes GC favorites, but also includes just good climbers. I think that one will be interesting. Stage seven is the real like general classification day. And it's the most climbing we have really, which is not saying much because this race is so bland compared to former Giro's. So it's 109 kilometers with two cat threes and two cat twos, it goes three, two, two, three, but the two and three at the end are really just one long climb. They kind of, the the two climbs and then it's like a plateau and then the three kicks. So this is the real class general classification day. And I think like the climbs are not that long and they're not that steep. And so I think that this is a day that is going to suit the GC riders, but I think that it doesn't suit Anamique. I think that the climb is not hard enough for her. I think that the climb 
is perfect for like Guy Riolini or Marta Cavalli and is not a great climb for Anamique because it's just not long enough. Yeah, she needs like a a long effort to kind of outdo people with basically her endurance on climbs. Which is why I think that the for the stage before, that stage five is going to be the one that she has her eye on. Because when you get to stage seven, it's not it doesn't look like a day that is going to be great for her. I mean, there's a cat three earlier on in the stage that I think she could use as a launching point to try to get ahead of everybody before the climb. But I don't think that that's how she's going to play it. I think that's too predictable. Yeah. And then stage eight and stage nine, they go over to Sardinia on stage eight. It's like pretty rolly, like, there's a cat three near the finish, but other than that, it's basically just like jagged, which means it could be a really hard day, but, uh, it's likely going to be like a reduced bunch to the line, maybe a breakaway day and stage nine, 126.8 kilometers long with a cat three super early in the day, a cat three, like mm, two thirds of the way through, and then it descends to the finish. So it's another, I don't know. It could be like a last ditch attempt for someone to gain time on the general classification, but really like the only super hard GC day that we have is stage seven, the day before they go to Sardinia. Also, they're not just popping over to Sardinia. That's a long transfer day they've got. Yeah. Which is also a factor, I would think maybe. Like, I mean, it's, it's such a weird, like, composition. It is a... It does, like, the race just feels so half-hearted. And I feel like, I don't know if we talked about this in a former episode or not, but there was a bunch of hullabaloo about whether or not it was even going to happen. And, like, last week we went through this whole thing where we, I genuinely thought that the race was not going to happen because it was, there was all this drama about whether or not they would have TV coverage. And then they were going to the Italian cycling federation to ask for 750,000 euros so that they could pay for the TV coverage. Cause without the TV coverage, it's so confusing. It's like Italian politics and cycling without the TV coverage, then the race might be demoted from the world tour, which I don't think actually would have happened, but that's a whole different discussion. And RCS is set to take over the race next year, which originally I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. There's two races that RCS puts on for the women, and that's the UAE Tour and Strada. And Strada never has great, like, very long live coverage. It's sometimes been a pretty disappointing. Um, and so I think, like, I was like, I don't know, jury's out on this one. But now the way that this race has come about this year with one kind of a less than exciting lineup of stages, the fact that the prize purse is just abysmal. It's gone down from, for the winner, it used to be 50,000 euros. Now it's 2,000. So a massive drop in prize money and that they needed to find this extra money for the live coverage. It's just like really a shame for the women's Peloton that this is kind of what what's happening in 2023 when we have so many races that care deeply about the women and putting on a good show, like putting on a good event for them. And then there's this one that has always been a bit like, we're going to put on a race and you're going to come do it. And this year has been worse than ever. 
And I think it's about that excitement in the lead up to it. You know, for the riders, obviously knowing what's happening is is absolutely crucial. But for us as fans and journalists and people that want to bring that information to an audience, we haven't been able to do that. And even a couple of days ago, I was thinking, well, there's absolutely no way this is going to go ahead because we don't know. Yeah, we we don't haven't seen proper profiles. We don't know what the stage is looking like. We don't know who's racing. Um, and so I think that that's a big shame when all we're trying to do is get more eyes on the sport. We couldn't say to people, well, you're definitely going to be able to watch this next week, could we? I feel like you still can't really say it. Like GCN has the the times laid out on the the races to come at two hours blocked out each day, but it's the same time every day, which is definitely not going to be what the actual time is for the, for the stages. So they've just kind of put a placeholder in there. And I don't know, I feel like I, I don't think I'm going to be able to, I'm not positive about how, about if we can watch this until I'm literally watching it on the screen. I won't believe it. The, the thing is as well with, the, with all of this stuff and like, you know, talking about how bad it is and, and just like, obviously it needs to be called out. But I mean, I've written about this a few times in my newsletter, but like, I do think it's kind of- Women Cycling Weekly, you should check it out. Thanks. Um, I do think this is kind of like the dying days of a time in the sport where like half assed organizers got away with it. And now we're seeing this transition to like, big organizers yes okay rcs maybe don't have the most amazing track record with like live coverage this sort of thing but at the end of the day they are a professional race organizer and you know they run the men's duo like stradibianchi like i was at uae tour and it was really well run um obviously because i was there i don't know exactly what it seemed like they had decent live coverage from what it did it did have decent live coverage um so i do actually have like quite high hopes for RCS's takeover of the race. And I just, it's almost as if now it's like, just let this, the old duo organizers, like it's the end of, a, of an era of the race where we're always just like rolling our eyes at the duo. And like, not that we're wasting our breath with like saying how like annoying and terrible it is that there's no cover it. There might not be any coverage and the prize money and this and that, because it is still like crap. But I just think it's it is like this kind of we're in this transition period with races and with the sport in general I think where like there's a there's the newer more professional version be it, and the older kind of like shambolic versions being phased out a bit I don't know Yeah no you're totally right like we're I feel like we just need to get through this this edition and I have hope I have high hopes for the future, which might come to bite me in the butt. But with the tour kind of setting the bar for what races should do, I feel like RCS doesn't really have any choice but to step it up. And you know what? If they can't, then we have Turingen potentially joining the world tour. So there are other races that can slot into this block right now that the Giro takes up and I don't know it's just like it's been the Giro is always like kind of disappointing as fans of the sport because it's the only like grand tour that we had as women before we had the tour and before the Vuelta added stages but it's still just like always a letdown 
And it sucks for the riders more than anyone else because it's this race that they target throughout the year. They It's like one of the biggest races on their calendar. Like if you look at Veronica Ewers, who is doing audio diaries for us next week, this is her biggest race of the year, the race that she's targeted. And if it had not happened, then she's not raced in months in preparation for this race. And the, her team is falling apart. So like, what would that mean for her career? And you look at stuff like that and it's just like such a shame that the riders are being treated this way. And it's a whole, whole other thing, like what this means for fans of the sport who are trying to get into women's cycling. And we're in this sweet spot right now where if we can maintain where we are in terms of fan base, there are great things happening for women's cycling. But when shit like this happens and they don't know if they can tune into a race or not, like people will lose interest. So we need to be able to hold on to that. And it's not helping that we don't know a week ahead of the race, whether there will be live coverage or not, just like the number one thing that we need to keep pushing the sport forward. On a positive note, um, I have the little receipt. Have I mentioned that they've uh, launched on a little receipt? So uh, good. And if hopefully Everything will be good. The race will happen. It will go ahead and we'll watch it live. Um, but this roster, Logo Bagini, Raylini, also Elena Baxter, Lizzie Diagonal, Loretta Hansen, Lisa Klein, and Shiran Ran Anroy. Um, that's a bit handy, isn't it? That is a... Okay, so they've, but, they were just like, we're going all in for the Jira this year, is what they said. I mean... They've got Lizzie on there, who's like the best team captain in the business. They've got some really incredible, uh, really incredible domestiques in there as well. And I, yeah, I'm so excited to see how this goes. Although, you know, looking at this, this roster, uh, I'm pretty sure that Trek Segafredo or Little, Little, Little Trek gave me Brody Chapman to do the audio diaries and she's definitely not on the star list for them. So I'm going to have to message them. I already thought Brody was doing it. The of the only two teams where we have an actual lineup so far, Trek Segafredo is clearly going for the GC. Like they, they have a team that is 100% built around Guy Riolini. If there is a Giro that Elisa could win, it might be this one. Cause it doesn't have as much climbing as it's had in the past. And even when it's had a good amount of climbing, she's still finished on the podium in the general classification. So I think like if there was ever a Giro that has her name on it, it might be this one, but I think it's also just, they have multiple cards to play. And second hot take of the episode from me is that uh, I don't know if this race is a guy really race or a Shirin Van Anroy race because it's hey, a bit good take Thanks. great take no um, that's a great take just because yeah. it I think a, for Guy really maybe there'd need to be a bit more climbing and a bit less rolling slash punchy days um I think you're right yeah I I'm gonna agree I, I now agree with you Amy <laughs> <laughs> I think this, yeah. Um, yeah, I think having actually just gone through those profiles and discussed them a little bit more closely, I think you're absolutely right. It's not out and out ridiculously hard, long climbs that we might see suit someone like Gaia. Um, but yeah, we know Elisa's coming back in good form as well. So I think you're absolutely right there. There's uh, a lot of cards to play. It'd be interesting to see how that does play. 
DSM is the other roster we have, and I think it's um, I'm interested to see how they play it because they have Esme, Esme Peppercamp, who's a pretty good climber, rode really well at UAE Tour, and I'm curious to see like how she'll go. Obviously, like you guys just said, it's not like a climbing, climbing course. I think it suits her better than if there had been long mountain climbs, but they also have Juliette Labou who is just a phenomenal rider and she won the queen stage or she won the only mountaintop finish of the 2022 Giro and won Basque. She won one of the world tour stage races last year in Spain. She's really good. So I'm excited to see how this works for her. I think the fact that we, we don't know a lot of the start lists, but also that we can, we do know that there are riders targeting the tour and not going to the Giro, that it opens up opportunities for a rider like Juliet to get a result in she's, the general classification. Um, she's doing the Giro Tour double for the second year in a row. Legend. Impressive. And yeah, for EF, we know that like Veronica Ewers is going, she's a phenomenal climber, but I think maybe she needs longer climbs to get some kind of results. And um, I am just really curious about a couple of the rosters that we don't know yet. I'm curious about Yumbo Visma and who they're going to take. I'm curious about uh, AG Insurance, if they will have Ashley Woman Passio, if she's going to do the double or if she's focusing purely on the tour. Amy's shaking her head. She knows insider information. I saw her the other day. She said she wasn't doing the GMO. All right. So she's focusing on the tour. Good honor. I wasn't drunk that time. I was sober. That I'm really fun. excited. I'm really excited to see who FDJ takes, given that Cavalli just won a stage of the Pyrenees race and looks like she's coming back in form based on how she raced at the national championships. And uh, she was obviously second overall at this race last year and then had the horrific crash in the tour that she's been coming back from. So I'm really excited to see if she races, how that goes, because I think actually the course suits her more than last year. Yeah, they need to kind of pull something out of the bag. They've been a bit listless this year, FDJ, it seems. But now I'm going to wrap up the episode because this has been a long one, guys. <laughs> we went off on some tangents. So we're going to end the episode with what we always end it with. And Amy will only know if she's listened to episodes because I didn't give her any indication that this is how we end episodes. Bex, what have you been obsessed with lately? I am, and bear with me, obsessed with... Amy's shorts. Amy's left. Amy's left. Right. I'm obsessed with asking my non cycling friends A, if they have watched um, Tour de France Unchained on Netflix, and B, whether they understand (laughs) what the hell is going on in our sport. And it's like when you think every time I catch up with someone like over the weekend, like, have you have you watched the Tour de France Netflix series? And do you how many episodes in are you? And you do do you know what's happening? What kind of answers are you getting? That I think people love it. I think they really love it. And I'm excited that some of my friends are going to start binge watching a show about cycling. But it is interesting because I don't think everyone's got that far into it yet. But it does make you realise the complexities of it um, in translating that to someone that's never, ever watched any of the bike racing for the rest of the season. I haven't asked anybody that I know that's not a bike racing fan, but I did do a podcast with the escape collective breaking down every episode of that show and that was an experience i haven't finished it so i can't i can't go and listen yet i haven't even watched 
Yeah, but Amy, you famously don't watch men cycling. I'm getting better at that, actually. I'm, I mean, I hope so, because your partner does race. Yeah, but mountain biking. Them. Mountain biking is way cooler. Amy, what have you been obsessed with lately? Mountain bike? No, I'm kidding. Um, although maybe a bit. Puck, specifically. She's amazing. Do you see the picture of her with the pizza? I did. It was great. I did. <laughs> it was awesome. Absolutely amazing. Oh, I love her. She's great. What am I obsessed with? I can answer while you think about it. I thought you can answer for me then. I was like, please tell me. I'll answer for you. I was going to say what Amy's thinking. (laughs) I have been obsessed with, as I said last week, I'm in Latvia and I'm still in Latvia. And I am obsessed with cold beet soup, which is basically just salad in a soup form. So it's like kefir, shredded beets, uh, cucumber, cherry tomatoes, potatoes, like boiled potatoes cut it all up, throw it in there. It literally takes like 10 minutes to make and it's super refreshing on a cold day, on a hot day, like nice and chilled soup and it's soup. And like, who doesn't love soup? And it's really good. Also dill, you need to have dill. If it's a Latvian dish, it has dill. There's all this talk about potatoes, but it's actually every Latvian dish has dill in it. Do do you know what? I was going to say, do you know what's interesting? You might not find this interesting, but I'm going to chuck it in anyway before we all wrap up. Um, When I did the Team DSM Firmnick launch the other day, um, I was chatting to the riders about cold soup because they wanted to know if I I enjoyed a cold soup. And I said, well, to be honest, I've not really... Not really indulged in uh, gazpacho. Gazpacho, yeah. Um, So I haven't delved into that world of cold soup. But interesting that I've had two conversations about cold soup now in a couple of weeks all related to cycling there you go go. so a small world yeah if um if you ever come across like cold beet soup it's uh it's like a it's pull there's polish versions there's like yeah eastern european versions and i just love it i think it's amazing now i'm hungry you're welcome i've got mine okay go for it not going to surprise you it's summer. It's Love Island. Oh, God. <laughs> obsessed. Sam's obsessed as well. More than me, I think. You know, your accent when you said it kind of like added just an extra layer on top of it. And <laughs> that's something that I'm not going to get over for a long time. What, so, Love Island my accent? You, play, you saying, it's summer. I can't do it. It's summer. That was, like it. That was good. <laughs> it sounded like it was it sounded like jamie tart on ted lasso is what it sounded like <laughs> i watch that oh my so god i'm good. also obsessed with ted lasso um How did you, you never invite me back i will delve into that, that show is a 10 out of 10 like it's that beautiful isn't yeah. it beautiful so that's yeah. a good that's a good comparison amy and one more selling sunset Right, oh yes man yeah. that show is wild and before we start talking about that i'm gonna cut us off because <laughs> we are pushing 90 minutes for this episode but i hope everyone enjoyed it there's jiro preview for you there's talk of acrylic nails all the good stuff thank you so much for listening thanks you too for joining me on this journey and we will be back well not next week because we'll be back on friday to talk about the Girodonna, me and the one and only Han- hannah barnes be talking about the prologue slash tt so tune in and yeah thank you